says on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us what a great statement of faith do you love to worship the Lord I mean, he has created us for this he has created us for this. that's why you exist that's why I exist hey listen just a quick thing before we look at what God has for us this morning is we're giving you an opportunity to be a hero for an hour on Christmas Eve, we need you. Uh, Christmas Eve services, we do 3, 4.30, and 6. This year, we'll have twelve to 1,500 people that will take part in our carols and candlelight service. Let me just tell you, uh, we're working really hard, and you, don't, you do not want to miss this service. This year be the first time we'll be taking the Lord's Supper as a part of our carols and candlelight. But here's what we need. We need people just to join us and just to help us. They'd be willing to work as an usher or a greeter in the welcome area. We're going to have it open for... Uh, hot apple cider and some other stuff and parking lot people. And so you could actually come and serve and then, then be with your family and sit with your family through the service. You could come to one service and serve if you'd like and then go to another one. We're going to train you. We're going to help you. And so if you would complete this, if you would like to help us and then place it in the boxes on your way out, that would just be like awesome. But more than anything, begin praying uh, for this service because we have more... Um, more unchurched people that attend that service than even Easter. It's a huge, it's one of our largest opportunities just to reach people. And we do it every year. We don't take an offering. It's a gift to, from us to the community. And uh, we just want them to connect with God. And so, uh, so if you'd like to help in that, we would love to have you. Well, tonight, if you'll, or today, uh, I think it's today, if, if you'll take your Bibles and you'll turn 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 18. Uh, that's where we're going to be today. I know it's 18 verses. I know it's an awful lot to go through, but, but Paul is talking about a very important subject, and he's talking about this subject of don't give up, don't lose heart. And I think this subject, especially where we are as a nation, where we are as an economy, the things that are going around us right now, that this is maybe one of the most relevant things that we could look at. And Paul, listen, in their day, their day was, they were struggling in their day. It was difficult in their day as well. And so Paul is writing out of the experience experience of going through a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of circumstances. You know, when I talk with people, I find there's an awful lot of people losing hope. There's an awful lot of people, they're just ready to give up. There, there's a lot of people with, with fear of the future. And here's what shocks me. There's believers. Been walking with Christ, walking with God for a very long time. And they got fear of the future. And they're getting discouraged. Whether it's because of the government, some of the things that are going on, whether it's because of health care, whether it's because of all the different wars, Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, everything that's going on with that. Whether it's because of taxes, whether it's because of decisions that are being made, whether it's because of the global economy that's going on. That there are some people, believers. Whether it's because of some personal hurt or pain in their life. I'm just telling you. I don't have to, you know, right? I mean, you're in the workplace. You're, you're with people that are discouraged or losing hope. A friend of mine, Doug, is a pastor in the Springs. And when Doug was starting out in ministry, he was a youth pastor. And he, he was asked to go preach and speak at a youth camp. And so the pastor of the church that he went to speak at for the youth 
came and spent a day with the kids, like a lot of pastors do. And the pastor was, 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 was older and been in ministry for 30-something years. And Doug was excited, being new to ministry, that he'd get to come up against this guy. And so at, one of, at, at the lunch table one day, he was sitting with the pastor, and he looked over at the pastor and says, can you tell me the secret of the Christian life? Can you tell me the secret of life? Can you tell me the secret? And he goes, oh, it's easy. It's one word. He goes, you got a napkin? And he goes, yeah. And so they rummaged around. They found a napkin. And so the pastor says, okay, um, it, it's so easy, but it's a little bit harder to apply, but it's just so easy. And he says, now listen, this isn't, even, this isn't even the secret to life and the Christian life. This is a secret to parenting. This is a secret to marriage. This is a secret to relationships around you. I mean, this is a secret. And so he took a napkin and he drew a dot and put start and he drew a straight line across and he put goal or finish or whatever. And he says, he says the one word is this, is consistency to where you've got to come to the point to where you're just consistent. And then he took and started drawing X's above and below the line. And he said, listen, there's going to be people all around you in the world or whatever. They're going to be up above the line, below the line, whether it's your kids, whether it's people that you work with, whether it's in your family, whether it's people that you go to school with. And he says, they're going to be all over the place. And your job, don't ride the roller coaster with them. Your job is to be consistent as possible. Your job is to understand, and listen, we're fallen, and we're imperfect, and we have sin, and all this, and so there are times that we're not as consistent as other times, but what he was telling him was this, that listen, the secret to the Christian life, man, the secret to the Christian life is parenting, is consistency. The secret to parenting is consistency. Your kids are going to be all over the place. Your kids are going to be all over the map at times. When I was growing up, and those of you that are my age and older, you know this, when I was growing up, there was a deal, a commercial that came on, and remember, says, it's 10 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? Remember that? We need a commercial now and say, it's 10 o'clock. Do you know where your dad is? The secret of parenting, the secret of the Christian life is consistency, and this is what Paul begins to say. And so... So as we head into this, and then we're going to finish up with the Lord's Supper, Paul lived out this issue of consistency. And so, and none of this is easy. The first one is this, is consistency is, is the ability. It's the ability to keep going regardless of feelings. Consistency in life, consistency in parenting, consistency in the Christian life, consistency walking through this world is to be able to keep going, be able to endure, to be able to walk through life regardless of your feelings. Watch this, verse 1. Therefore, having this, mercy by, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Paul realized that I've got this responsibility because of what God has done in my life, because what God has saved me from. I have this ministry. I have this, this, this responsibility, if you will, because of this ministry. I mean, there... If you just look at Paul's life, there were times that he probably didn't feel like keep on keeping on. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was thrown in prison. He was abandoned. He was forsaken. I mean, even his friends, even some of his closest friends turned against him. There was a group of people in Corinth. I mean, the Judaizers, this is a difficult group. They were trying to take over the church. They were writing emails about him and everything else that was going on and blogs about him. And they were trying to turn everybody against him. But consistency is this. It's the ability to keep on. Man, regardless, regardless of your feelings, it's the power of 
consistency. And even Paul acknowledged, the only reason I have this ministry is not because of my speaking ability, not because of my wisdom, not because of... He said, guys, the only reason I have this ministry, mercy of God. Remember me, Paul said, chief of all sinners. Nobody sinned more than me. I was a guy that was persecuting the church. I was a guy that was cr killing Christians. I was that guy. But because of the mercy of God, who would ever thought I would be in ministry? Who would ever thought God would use me? And let me tell you something. There's times life can seem hopeless. There's times your marriage can seem hopeless. I just want to give up. I just want to quit. And you don't want to do it anymore. You know what? There's sometimes parenting. can seem hopeless. You got people all over the map. Why even try? Why even bother? Why even... Maybe it's work. You know what? There are times that we can go through, I thought work was going to give me more pleasure. I thought it was going to give me more satisfaction. I thought it was going to give something to me and it didn't. Why even try? Why even try if you achieve all this stuff and you're always wanting more, feeling like there's more? There's all kinds of reasons why people get disillusioned. Either bills mount up or health issues or people disappoint, relationships hurt or whatever. Maybe you feel like quitting the Christian life today. Maybe like Chad said, maybe you're in here. He says, this is my last shot. Because you believe I bought into something and it didn't turn out the way that I expected. Listen, let me tell you something. If you find your joy in Christ in the blessings and what he's doing in your life, you will always be disappointed. You will always lose heart. Our joy is found in Christ and Christ alone. And understanding this issue of a consistency is the power to keep on regardless of feelings. Listen. You know that bumper sticker that says, if it feels good, do it, you know? We as Christians, we know, hey, that's, that's horrible. You can't, you can't live your life like that. Here's just an ADD moment. I just saw, I just saw another bumper sticker, you know, with the new text ban, text law and everything. It says, it says, honk if you love Jesus, dot, 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 text while driving if you'd like to meet him. <laughs> that's just ADD moment. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. You'd be surprised at stuff that goes on up here that I don't say. <laughs> so anyway, so there's this bumper sticker. Back to this. There's this bumper sticker that says, if it feels good, do it. So we know. I mean, we know that, man, that's a horrible way to live life. If you live life based upon feelings, it's gonna, you're going to make poor decisions and, 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 and everything. But the opposite's true. And what's happened is, is we have bought into a belief that if it doesn't feel good, just quit. If that relationship doesn't feel, well, just quit. If parenting doesn't feel good at the moment, just quit. If work at the moment, if it doesn't feel good, 
if it's not given, being a follower of Christ, if I'm being betrayed, forsaken, beaten, abused, if it doesn't feel good, just quit. See, consistency, consistency is the ability. It's the ability to keep going regardless of emotion, regardless of, man, of feelings. Galatians 6, 9 says, man, let us don't give up. Because at the proper time, in his timing, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Man, when I think about quitting, when I think about giving up in areas of life, I can get that verse out of my mind. What if I was to quit? What if you were to quit? the day before God was going to do a miracle in your life. Why was I going to just check out, cash it? Here's the crazy thing about church and just as a pastor that I've learned. When when most people, when their schedules get squeezed, when there's pressures in life, you know what the first thing to go is? Church. That's the first thing people usually give up on. That's why Hebrews says, let us not quit meeting together and encouraging one another. I doubt Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins and to be crucified because it was a pleasurable experience. Because it would feel good. He went to the cross with you in mind and with me in mind regardless of it Jesus was the one right in Gethsemane the night before he was going to be crucified that prayed Lord if there's any way that this cup can pass before me let it but he went out of commitment he went out of because he knew it was the only way that we could be saved consistency is the ability to keep going regardless of Regardless of feelings, regardless of... Paul was like, I remember what he saved me from. I remember what my life was like. Second thing, this is consistency is the ability to be real, to be authentic. If you're a faithful person, you have to come to the point to where you're just real. You're comforting and you have comfort and confidence in who God has made you and how he's wired you. You just be authentic and, and real. Listen... Being insincere will wear you out. Try, trying to cover up a double life, it'll wear you out. But there's something worse than being worn out, and that's being found out. Ask Tiger Woods. I mean, it's just like unraveling. Because we have this belief that, you know what? If I can keep a persona of being a machine, a family man, a great person, no emotion, if I can just keep that up, Scripture says this, you will be found out. And this issue of consistency is to just to be able to be real and be able to be authentic. Look at this, verse 2. Paul goes on, and listen, I'm reading now the ESV. The ESV, like the NIV and some others, are a dynamic equivalence. In other words, it's thought for thought. 
The ESV is what I study out, out of. It's word for word from the Greek and from the Hebrew. And so sometimes it's so hard for me converting and everything to the NIV. And, and so it's, it's a good translation. I have nothing against it. I've preached out of it for years. But for this, the ESV just worded some things. And so watch this. So that's why it's not the same. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We have refri- refused to practice cunning or to ta- tamper with God's word. In other words, to, com- to communicate God's or to... to uh, to take God's word and interpret God's word based upon human tradition, based upon church tradition. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So Paul says, I'm authentic. It wasn't that he was doing anything. He says, you know what? We renounce all shameful ways. We renounce all disgrace. What you see is what you get. Paul, that's how Paul was able to stand up in front of him and say, hey, I'm the chief sinner among sinners. And... So people in our day, people in his day, they were distorting the truth of God. The Judaizers that were coming up against him, they hated what Paul was saying, freedom in Christ and not in the sacraments and not in all of that other stuff. And, and so they didn't like that, and they were coming up against him. But people in our day will distort the word of God. What? For their profit. We see it happen all the time. Sow a seed. Give $10, you get a hundredfold back. Nowhere in Scripture. They got private jets and offices of gold and all this other stuff. And so people will, will distort word, God's word in our day for their profit, for their gain. And people will also distort God's word to agree with their lifestyle, to agree with their decisions. Instead of them agreeing with God, they just force his word to agree with them. And so Paul was coming down and said, hey, listen, I just need you to know I don't distort God's word for anyone. I preach the truth. And there's some of you who don't like it. But I'm not willing to compromise. I'm not willing to preach God's word for the approval of man. And I'm just going to speak the truth. Jump down to verse 7. Watch this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and, and not to us. And here's what Paul was doing. See, in their day, in their culture, they didn't have safety deposit boxes. They didn't have banks. They didn't have a vault in their home, and they didn't have fireproof safes. And their homes really weren't that safe as well. And so, so what they would do, they'd take the little valuables that they had, whether it was jewelry, whether it was gold, whether it was money. They would take the little uh, the valuables that they had, and they would put it in the most unimpressive container that they had in their house. So that if they were broken into, nobody would think, to, it would be like us hiding our money in a coffee can or a Coke can and sticking it in the back of the refrigerator, hoping that if we get broken into, nobody would think to look in a coffee can or nobody would think to look in a, in a Coke can. And so that's what they would do. And so here's what Paul was communicating. Paul was just saying, hey, you got to know, you got to know this. Our external is not impressive at all. See, what is impressive about me? Not the external, not the flesh. Not my abilities, not my gifts. What you've got to know is this, is it's Christ in me. He said, I'm imperfect. And listen, we're the same way. We have imperfections, we have sin, we have, we have stuff that we're working through. All of us. And Paul's saying, you know what? What's impressive about us? See, what happens when we lose heart? We reverse that. What's impressive about me is the gifts and the abilities that I have and my looks and all this other stuff. Paul's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What's impressive about me? 
Christ and Christ in me. And that's why I don't preach myself. That's why we don't preach ourselves. That's why we preach Christ. The third thing of this about consistency is just the ability to stand firm. Man, so many people have difficulty with this when people are all off the charts all around them. And Paul says real consistency, biblical consistency is just the ability just to stand firm. Watch this. Verse 4, in their case, the God of this world. Now, let me just tell you, that's a word for Satan. That's a word for the devil. Listen, Satan's described as many different things. The Bible is very clear. I know a lot of people get uncomfortable and don't like to talk about this, but the Bible is very clear that there are spiritual adversaries, Satan, the demonic forces, that come against believers. And so God or Satan is referred to the devil, the accuser of the brethren, the adversary, prince of this world, prince of this age, uh, all these different things. Is, is, and so here, he's referred to God of this world. If you have an NIV, it's the God of this age. And, but the, the ESV would say God of this world because this is his world, not God's world. world. And we've just got to understand that. In this case, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep, the, keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. So he's telling us that, listen, that... In a spiritual sense, we're behind enemy lines. This isn't our world. I mean, you take, some, you take someone in the army, Marines, and you drop them behind enemy lines, they understand the enemy is all around them. You don't have to tell them to be watchful. You don't have to tell them to be alert. And so Paul was reminding them, like, hey, listen, we're behind enemy lines. There's something going on here. There's these spiritual forces that come against believers and try to blind them or veil them, is what the Scripture would also say. And so watch this. Simon Peter in 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9 says this. He says, be sober-minded, watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Watch this. Verse 9, he starts giving the prescription. Resist him. Firm in your faith. In other words, stand firm. Consistency. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering, that's common to man in the Greek. That means we all have kind of the same kinds of suffering that we go through. Maybe different, but we all have hurts. We all have pain. We all have disappointment. The same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So, by the grace and the strength of God that we can either... Resist Satan by God's strength or our strength. You do it in your strength, you'll lose every time. And Scripture says, the fact is, every place in Scripture, Scripture says that we resist him, we resist the demonic forces by simply submitting to God. It's interesting that he uses the term like a roaring lion. A couple of things about lion tamers. I, I kind of read up on it a few weeks ago and and lion tamers, when they go into a cage to make lions do tricks, I mean, they can get lions to stand on stools, jump through hoops of fire, and turn around and twirl around and do stuff that is not even natural to them. A couple of things about that. A lion tamer will never turn his back on a lion. He will always stand firm because he doesn't want to look like prey. So he'll always stand firm. He'll always. But here's the interesting thing. You ever wondered how, how a lion tamer can control this huge beast that could swallow them in one gulp with a whip? And the lion tamer will take that whip and just nip the ears of the lion, and he can turn him and twist him and twirl him and jump him through hoops just by that? You know what he's doing? He's appealing to a higher authority. 
You see, when a lion is a cub, the way its mother corrects him or her, biting their ears. They'll bite their ears and nip at their ears. So what the lion tamer is doing, he's appealing to a higher authority. And he nips the ears of that lion. And that lion remembers when mom used to do that. And it comes under. You know how we stand firm? You know how we resist him? We submit to God by appealing to a higher authority. People make this so complicated and it's not. It's submitting to God. It's the ability in life. It's the ability in life just to stand firm. James 4, 6 and 7 says, But he gives more grace, therefore... It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. So there you have it. See, Satan seeks to defeat us in a couple of ways. And one, he'll, he'll distort the word of tr- the gospel, the message, the word of truth in the minds of unbelievers. So the gospel is really hard to understand. In fact, the scripture says that when we become believers, before believers, we have a veil over our face that we don't understand scripture, we don't have insight. Scripture says that when we become a believer, the veil is lifted. That, that, I mean, have you ever been in conversation with someone? You ever told someone that's not a believer about something in scripture and they looked at you like, what? And they didn't even get it? The scripture would say because, it's, because their face is veiled. Scripture says that when we meet him and we come into relationship with him, the veil is taken away and we can see things that we never once could see. We could see this is a spiritual world. We could see scriptures. Have you ever noticed women, especially wives, have an ability to see things that husbands can't see? I don't know if it happens in your home, but you know what? I can go and I need a blue shirt and I can go in my closet and, and I look for a blue shirt and I'm like, hey, it's not there. But before I ask Karen, I want to make sure I'm right, you know? And so I will literally sit there and go like this and I'll separate them and I'll go through every one of them just making sure. And when it's not there and I say, hey, I'll call. And I say, hey, Karen, where's my blue shirt? In your closet. And I said, no, it's not. She says, yeah, it is. I said, no, it's not. I've gone through. And so you hear a, oh. and so, you know, here she comes. Yeah, I, and it just kills me. Here she comes, opens the closet, reaches in, here. All right. All right. You know what I think? I think wives can make things appear to prove you're right. It wasn't there. I, okay, voodoo woman or whatever. <laughs> but you know what I'm telling you? Believers, I'm just telling you, believers says, when you come to Christ, the veil is taken away. And you begin to see Scripture as written to you. And when you read Scripture, something happens in your life, and like, man, that's me. That's for me. I can stay. That's why reading Scripture, that's why being in God's Word is so important in your life. And see, Satan veils the the eyes of the non-believers by getting their focus on the world to where power and pleasure and possessions and uh, 
success and all of this stuff to where they move to the point they say, who needs God? I got everything I need. I'm doing pretty well. And that's another way that he blinds the eyes of non-believers because their security and their hope is in their wealth. Here's another thing about consistency. Consistency is the ability to bounce back after disappointment. There's a lot of people give up way too easy. And the consistency is the ability to bounce back after hurt or pain. And uh, Paul had that. Watch this, verse 8. We're afflicted in every way but not crushed. This is a personal testimony. He gets really, really personal through 2 Corinthians as we walk through this. He says we're afflicted in every way but we're not crushed. We're perplexed but we're not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Paul knew what it was to have stress. Paul knew what it was to have problems in life. He was betrayed by his friends. He was abandoned by his friends. There are people that are attacking him. They're writing all kinds of junk and stuff about him. They, they beat him. They threw him in prison. He was flogged, all for following God. And that's why Paul was able to say, hey, let me just tell you, yeah, we are afflicted. Well, we are afflicted in every way, just not some of the ways, just not. Man, I need you to know, we're afflicted in every way, but I got to tell you this. But we're not crushed. We're not crushed because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We're not crushed because it's not about the earthly tent. It's not about all that stuff. It's about who that is in us. And I tell you, he said, I've been perplexed. I mean, I'm following God. I'm preaching the message, what Paul is saying, and I'm getting thrown in prison, and I'm getting beaten. But I got to tell you, I may not understand everything. I may be perplexed, but I have never been driven to despair. I've been persecuted. But I'm not forsaken because it's about the spirit that is in me. Christ promised. I'll be with you. Regardless of what you walk through. Paul had enemies that ridiculed him and beat him. and fact is, in Lystra, he was following God, doing what God had asked him to do, preaching God's word and people coming to Christ. They get mad. They take him out of the city and they stone him. They gather around. They begin throwing stones at him. And they left him for dead. Even his friends weren't there. And Paul gets up, continues in ministry. You know what I'd do? I'd call the elders. I need a new job. <laughs> I feel God calling me somewhere, but not here. Not Paul. He went and got Barnaba, Barnabas. Barnabas and him went to Derby. And it says in Derby, many people received his message. Why? Can you imagine what it was like if you had heard him speak that day? He had just gotten stoned. He had just gotten beaten. He had cuts. He had bruises. He was bleeding. Maybe a broken arm. And he stood up in front of them and said, Guys, I got to tell you, we're afflicted in every way. But we're not crushed. And I've been perplexed but never in despair. 
persecuted. I tell you, God was with me. I wasn't forsaken. Because it's not about me. This world is transient. This world is temporary. I've been struck down. Look at me, I'm not destroyed. See, Paul just didn't endure problems. He employed them. Paul understood. Listen, I've told you this. You know when you're over your past, when your past works for you and not against you. There's a time in my life my past worked against me. When you're over it. Man, see, there's something about when someone has gone through deep hurt and deep pain that their testimony is much deeper when they said what God did in the midst of that, whether than someone being a philosopher and just writing what it would be like. Matt Chandler is a pastor in, in, out of Dallas, Texas, in Village Church, and he's 33 years old, three kids, oldest kid in, in, uh, in middle school. Church is like exploding. And, I mean, he's just an awesome guy because even though he's at a big church, he doesn't act like it, and they're given to the poor, and it's not an empire and all this other stuff. And I've heard him speak a couple of times. Just an incredible communicator. Thanksgiving morning, 10 o'clock in the morning, he was there with his family. He had a seizure. He'd given his life to the gospel, given his life to starting churches. At the peak of his ministry, he has a seizure. So he rushed him to the ER and found that he had a, a tumor, a mass on the frontal lobe. Friday at 2 o'clock Dallas time, they did brain surgery and they took out most of the right frontal lobe. The initial report was everyone was positive because the doctor said he recognized the surgeon and he answered some questions, and, but he, never may, he may never preach again. His whole life. Before his surgery, I got on his website and read a blog that he had written. And it carried so much weight in my life because I knew what he was walking through. And when he made the statement, I am still confident and I am his. If God wants to take me home, no doctor can keep me here. And if God wants me to stay here, no disease can kill me. I am confident, and I am his, regardless of the outcome. Yeah, we have questions. Yeah, we, we're perplexed. Yeah, we got that stuff. But I'm just telling you, I am so glad, is what he wrote, for my theology that it's not health and wealth and prosperity. Because if it's about that, I'd give up, I'd check out. I have not been forsaken. And God is with me. The fifth thing is this, is that, is that consistency is ability to just endure for the benefit of others. Verse 12, Paul said, so it is death at work in us, but life in you. Paul had this unselfish ability for the brethren, for other people. I mean, yeah, he had a small group of people that were making his life miserable. They were saying horrible things about him. They were ridiculing him. They were making fun of him because he didn't have a great speaking ability. They, were, they threw him in prison. They threw him in jail. All this other stuff was going on. Listen, people quit so easy. 
I'm quitting the team because I don't like the, how the coach treated me. I'm quitting because I don't like what she said. I'm just, I'm quitting, I'm quitting everything because I don't like how they treated me. Paul had this ability to say, you know what? The reason I'm enduring, the reason I'm doing this is for the benefit of others. Not for them, not for the ones that are criticizing me, not for the ones that are trying to hurt me, not for the ones that are ridiculing me. I've got a mission. And we quit. A policeman deals with 5 to 10% of society that does horrendous things and horrendous acts. But they keep going because they realize there's 90% of the community of citizens that need someone to protect them and someone to care for them and someone to take care of them. A nurse may get frustrated with the long hours and the shifts and some people that are appreciative and some that are demanding. What keeps a nurse going is remembering the ones that they do it for. A parent continues to parent regardless of the hurt and regardless of the pain because they remember it's for the benefit of others. A pastor continues regardless what is said about them because they realize it's for the benefit. See, Paul understood this. Life is not, you want to make life all about you, you will quit. You will give up. But Paul understood it was so much deeper than that. The sixth and the last thing about consistency is this, is consistency is ability to focus on the goal. I mean, that's, I mean, all 18 verses, I mean, Paul comes down and builds this case, and then he comes down and he says, consistency is ability to focus on the goal. So we do not lose heart. Why? He answers it, finally. Why? Though our outer self is wasting away and our inner self is being renewed day by day. In other words, he says, we're outwardly wasting away. I mean, I, mean, we, I mean, that's kind of blunt, but I mean, we know that, right? The older you get, things don't work once like they used to. I mean, I mean the older you get, you're just... The, man, let me just tell you. If your focus is on this life only, then the older you get, the more discouraged you will become. You can eat right. You can exercise, you can jog, all the plastic surgery in the world, and you're still going to get older. If your focus is on this world, out of desperation, you will quit. See, Paul is saying we don't quit because our focus is not on this body and our focus is not on this life because this body and this life is temporal and what is to come is eternal and it's the spirit and that's why he says instead of develop, spending all your time on the body how about developing the soul what if you took the same amount of time and spent on the body spent on the soul so he goes for this light of momentary afflictions is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen is eternal. See, we've gotten into this mode that we think the physical world is the real world. The things that we can see and feel and touch and smell, we think that's the real world, but the Bible says that's not the real world, that's temporary. That's, that's why you can't find satisfaction in that. 
And so we get to the point that we think, okay, the spiritual world, the things that we can't see, the things that we can't touch, the things that we can't smell, that's the unreal world. Paul's saying, you know what? If that's your philosophy, if that's who you are, you'll lose heart. Our afflictions, our problems are transient. They're momentary. 